Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, everybody wants to ask me about Dr. Graham, how he's doing. So some of you probably remember Dr. Graham. Uh, he's doing well. Uh, I was with Franklin, his son, in January in uh, Vietnam, and uh, Franklin was calling his father to check up and see how he's doing. Uh, Ruth Graham died several years ago. Some of you know that. And uh, upon her death, Billy just wanted to die and go home and be with Ruth. But uh, he's still alive. Uh, He can't see very well. He can't hear very well. But his mind is still very, very sharp. So thank you for your prayers for him. Uh, I, I, I think the Lord will take him home soon. And uh, it'll, it'll be a sad day, but a happy day. And I think that's the way it is for us, right? When someone has long served the Lord, uh, we're sad, but we're also very happy when they pass on to be with Jesus. Um, I asked Mo if I could just share with you a little bit what's happening in Iraq. Uh, I was in Iraq at the end of last year. Do you know the Christian Missionary Alliance, some people forget that those are our churches in northern Iraq. In Kurdistan, those are Christian and Missionary Alliance churches. Uh, two years ago, the church in Erbil in northern Iraq in Kurdistan was started by, by three couples from the Baghdad Alliance Church. And they went up there and started this church not knowing how it would go, but committed to seeing it through and preaching the gospel in that area. Well, I've been going to the Middle East since 1990. I was in, uh, in, with the Kurds when Saddam Hussein gassed the Kurds back in 91. And people say, did Saddam Hussein have weapons of mass destruction? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He gassed the Kurds. And they fled into southeastern Turkey, and I worked with groups in that area that were trying to reach the Kurds. And uh, great things started to happen amongst them. When they returned to northern Iraq uh, and started resettled back in their, their home areas, uh, now this latest go-around with ISIL, ISIS, Daesh, they're called over there, and you see what's happening. And listen, I just want to say this about that. There has never been a more stronger, greater awakening to the gospel than there is right now in the Middle East. I have never seen such responsiveness amongst the Muslims like I have seen now. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But people are starting to see the love of Christianity, and they are responding. Uh, I was with Dave Hearn, the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance, Brem Frentz, the vice president. I believe Brem was in your church not so long ago. And uh, took them over to see the work that's going on there. And I tell you, we couldn't be more pleased in Samaritan's Purse to help the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, we're their largest partner in that part of the world. We fund a great number of their programs in Lebanon, in Syria, in Jordan, and now in Iraq. And to watch the fervor with which they have come to reach people with the gospel is very exciting. The churches are full. Uh, Dave Hearn spoke in one of the churches on a Sunday. You know, the, the, the top floor of it seats about 150 people packed. The next level seats about 75 people packed. People were lining up on the staircase out into the streets to hear the word of God. Friends, I can't tell you how staggering this is to see that kind of hunger for the gospel. Uh, we prayed for a young gal. You know, I, I've been very moved lately. In staff meetings in Samaritan's Purse, we have devotions every morning. You know, and then we share prayer requests. We have about 150 staff. And uh, inevitably, our prayer requests are for someone's health. Uh, my wife went through cancer a couple years ago. I, I, I've learned to appreciate those prayers for someone's health in a far greater way than we ever did before that. And I listened to the prayer requests like here this morning. We're praying for these people that God's grace will be displayed upon their lives, that they'll be patient in affliction and suffering. I'll tell you what, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for the power of God. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God is that. Please don't ever discourage, be discouraged in praying that God will heal people. 
Because I believe we've got a God who wants to heal. Does he often do it? Sometimes not. He doesn't always do it in the ways I want him to do. But I don't want to be standing before him one day in heaven and he say, why didn't you ask me to heal that person? If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those that ask, the Bible says. So let's not be afraid this morning, when we have people that are going through times of sickness, to cry out to God, God, heal this person, please. He might say no. But we can ask. It's our privilege to ask. We prayed for this young gal in your Beale Church. She's 22 years old. She has uh, some kind of internal cancer. The doctors were still trying to diagnose it. Very, very sick. You know, we laid hands on that young gal and prayed and cried out to God that God would heal her. Here we are, three and a half months later. I've been checking up on her every month to see how she is. She's healed. And we give God all the glory for that. I don't know what it is, my friend. Actually, I do know what it is. In Mark chapter 16... At the very end of the book, it says, and, and these signs will accompany those who are out there preaching the gospel. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. They will cast out demons. They'll perform miracles. They'll drink poison, and they will not die. They'll pick up snakes, and they will not be harmed. I know some of us say, well, that's not in the earliest manuscripts. I'll tell you, it's in my Bible, and I want to believe it. What does it say when Paul, in, in, in Acts chapter, where is it, 14, uh, they've left Iconium and they go into Lerbe and, Di- and uh, Dystra and they see this uh, uh, man who's been who's lame and they lay, you know, Peter says, or Paul says, I see he's got the faith to be healed. He prays, he gets healed. The people come out, you know, and it says, the word of God's grace was accompanied by signs and wonders. And I look at it and say, where is this power of God today? And not just in Erbil in northern Afghanistan, but what about right here in St. Catharines? When we're preaching the word of God, and brothers and sisters, don't you ever stop preaching it. Again, I'll get into my message in just a second. Preach the word of Christ. Will you take it from someone whom for the last 30 years, I've been to over 150 countries, most every war or natural disaster in the last 30 years, I've been there. Name one, I can probably tell you I've been there. And it's good that we go out there and we, we live the gospel to people. But it's no excuse not to preach the gospel to people. And this gets into my text this morning, Romans chapter 15. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to tell you what it says. It says it best in the NLT, the New Living Translation. I mostly read out of the New International Version, but I love it in NLT. Paul's talking and he says, listen, I won't boast about anything. But I've won the Gentiles to faith. Catch what he says. By my message and by the way I have lived. And then he talks about through this, there were signs and wonders, that the Holy Spirit did miracles. And then he says it in case we miss it and we're a little bit dense, which I am very often. He says, this is a full presentation of the gospel. This is a full presentation of the gospel. And I want to touch on that this morning. Because after next, actually, I was going to say next month, we're already into March. On March 17th, my wife and I packed up our one-and-a-half-year-old. I was pastoring in Cranbrook, British Columbia, in the Alliance Church there. Wonderful church. Great church. Very loving. Very affirming to us. And we moved to a war zone on the Thai-Cambodian border. We were shelled 150 times over the next two years. Uh, you know, I had dengue fever, typhoid, malaria, all those things. It, it, it was a war zone in every way. And we watched God pour out his spirit. So when I've been doing this all my life, I, I kind of, all my ministry life, I look at it and say, listen, we win the Gentiles to faith by our message. And I'm glad he put that first. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. This gospel, my friends, must be preached. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is on the beach preaching the gospel, I like that because if you feel called to Hawaii or the Caribbean this morning, take heart. God wants people there to receive his word. Jesus was on the beach preaching the word of God. People were so interested in it. What happened? They pushed him into the water. So he looks over, he sees the boat of Simon Peter, and he says, listen, let me borrow your boat, and finishes his message. You know what I love so much about that? And these things aren't bad. There was no drama. There was no special music. No one did much, but Jesus preached the word of God. Oh, I find that so powerful. You know what? Nothing can compete with this. Hollywood, you know, they say we can't compete with Hollywood. Well, you know what? Hollywood can't compete with us. This is the word of God. Let it be said about this church, the word of God will be preached here. I find some churches, no kidding, I'm getting old. I, I feel like walking out. I told the pastor of my church, who's a very dear friend of mine, I said, you know what, if I hear one more sermon on leadership, I'm going to walk out. I want a sermon on followership. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I can't ever be a leader for Jesus' sake unless I'm a follower. I need to follow Jesus. Oh, how will they hear, Romans chapter 10 says, unless what, a preacher is sent to them. Somebody has got to come and preach the word of God to them. You know, I, I, the first time I went to Sudan, you know, we fly in and, and I'll never forget it. I saw three people crucified. Three Christians that were crucified by the Muslims from Khartoum. And it was such a horrendous thing. And I got out of there and I came back. And you know, the journalists, they love to interview me uh, when I get back from these countries. And they say, you know, what's it like over there? And I, uh, it's hard to describe I've seen horrors and horrors and horrors, and that was yet another horror. And one of the journalists said to me, so you're trying to save their lives? I said, yes. So what do you do? I said, well, we, we, we have a medical team there. We're trying to save the lives during the conflict. And, uh, you know, those that have been wounded, we're looking after. We, we have a hospital there. We have doctors and nurses. We bring them in. We try and heal them. He says, is that what you do? And I said, yes, but here's what we really do. I said, if someone's really dying in front of me, this is where I'm a pragmatist, my friends. If someone's really dying in front of me, yes, I'm going to try and save their life. We'll bring doctors and nurses over and we'll try and save their life. But if they're really, truly dying, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Do you know why? Because eternity is potentially so much greater than this life, isn't it? And if they're really dying in front of me, the only hope that they have to stand and be welcomed into his kingdom is to have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. That book will be opened. They'll search for their name. There it is. Welcome into what God has created and made for you. So I'm going to preach Christ to them. I'm going to preach the word of God. In Samaritan's person, we will not go into a project unless we can preach Christ. Do you know what? The stronger we drive in that stake, that we have to proclaim the word of God, the more money we get from the Canadian government. I can't figure it out. Except to say this, that when we live before the Lord, in a way that is pleasing to him. Proverbs says, even our enemies are at peace with us. And I've got to say, I'll argue with my friends in the Canadian government all the time. It used to be called CETA, now it's DFAT-D. 
And we say, you know what, at the end of the day, unless we transform hearts, nothing's really going to change. I've been involved with rescuing children out of brothels for years in Cambodia. And we, yeah, we've got all these homes for them. We rescue them. We put them in the homes. We look after them. We, you know, we love on them and all that. And some of them still return to the brothels that they've come from. And I look at it and I say, you know what? As long as we're just providing those things, all we're doing is treating symptoms. But those symptoms are very important. When you've got a headache, you want an aspirin. It, it'll take away the pain. But unless we identify what's causing that pain, we really can't help you significantly. And I say, that, I say this about that. Listen, when it comes to these things, I've got to preach Christ because ultimately only He can change a heart. And unless their heart is ultimately changed, we have no hope. So we'll preach Christ. We're also going to live Christ. And we do that very well in Samaritan's Purse. You know, when we're before people, we want, to, we want them to see the love of God. People always ask me, I think I've been to just about every Muslim nation in the Middle East and mostly North Africa and uh, several other places, Indonesia, Bangladesh. And uh, they always say, what's the key to the Muslim mind? Do you know what it is? I know what it is. It's love. Love is the most powerful tool in our arsenal of weapons that we can confront the world with. When we were in Somalia, you know, all these groups, by the way, Boko Haram, you hear about in Nigeria, Northern Africa, you hear about uh, Al-Bashad, the, 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 the group that is in, in uh, Somalia right now, uh, they're all linking together. And I don't know if you know why they're trying to do this. You hear of the caliphate, the final caliphate. In Islamic eschatology, they believe that once the twelfth and final caliphate is established, the Mahdi will come. And the Mahdi will be assisted by the prophet Isa, Jesus, to defeat the Antichrist, to set up the kingdom of Allah. Oh, wait. That sounds like Christian eschatology. That in the end times, Jesus will come. And he'll defeat the Antichrist and the false prophet and set up God's eternal kingdom. Very interesting. What the Muslims are trying to do, ISIS is trying to do, is create the 12th and final caliphate so the Mahdi can come. That's what they're about. And when I see all these things transpiring and all these groups coming together and joining ISIS, there is a great movement afoot to establish the Islamic kingdom. And how do we counter that? With love. With love. Our first convert in Somalia... Back in those terrible days of Black Hawk Down, some of you remember that. Listen, our house was two blocks from that. I was there two weeks after Black Hawk Down went down. The, the helicopter crashed and they killed those American uh, soldiers and pilots in that helicopter. Awful, awful, awful mess. You know, we, we had medical teams over there. We're doing medical clinics every day with the Somalis. And uh, uh, one day we were guarded by the 10th Mountain Cavalry from North Carolina, Marines all over us to protect us. And uh, this little girl, about 15, 16 years old, came into our clinic, and she's got a little baby, and the baby was in great distress and about to die. Um, we got these American Marines watching this whole thing unfold. And uh, one of our doctors from Minnesota ran over and picked up that little baby and held that little baby and ran over, started, tra started trying to save the little baby's life. The baby died. And our doctor just rocked that baby back and forth, started crying herself that she couldn't save the baby's life. One of the American Marines, the sergeant that was watching this, just lost it. He ran up to the 16-year-old mother, shook her, and says, If you had only gotten here sooner, they could have saved that little girl. 
the head of our team, Somali, who's a Muslim, is watching this, watching the reaction of the American Marine shaking that woman, and then watching the reaction of our doctor that just tried to save that little baby's life, crying over the dead body. When we got back that night, he walked up to our team leader, and he said, Jim, he said, if your God can love our people like that doctor loved that little baby, I want to know your God. When we were in on this trip uh, just south of Erbil in Iraq, we have a dentist that works for us, a Muslim. In fact, when his father-in-law found out that he was going to come and work for us, he offered Sammy Dagger, some of you know that name, the head of all of our, the Alliance work over there, he offered Sammy Dagger $250,000 to say no to his son-in-law coming to work for us. Sammy thought, well, maybe it's dangerous. You know, maybe he's really concerned. I better go to him and tell him, listen, you could be taking your life into your own hands if you come and work for us. This is what the dentist said. He said, Sammy... He said, I've watched all the people come to join ISIS, ISIL. Thousands from all over the world. Canadians. We've got a Baptist pastor from Sylvan Lake whose wonderful Christian son decided that he is going to go to the mosque and start witnessing to Muslims. He was killed six months ago after joining ISIS. Be careful, my friends. This is not a play game. This is the real thing. Sammy went to the dentist and said to him, look, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this. He says, Sammy, I've watched all these people come and join ISIS, join ISIL, thousands from all over the world. And all they do is destroy, they rape, they kill, they bring fear. Now I'm watching Christians come from all over the world. And they're bringing hope and peace, and they give us great things to look forward to in the future. Sammy, you pick which God you want to serve. I'm serving your God. Listen, this is happening. This is a time, my friends, where we demonstrate the love of Christ to these people in ways that perhaps they've never seen before. The love of God constrains us, compels us to go on, to care for these people, to come into their lives and reach them. And when we do these things, we live the gospel before people. People would like to see. Muslims have been told for so long, you Christians, they're the infidels, they're the enemy. And then when we show up in Jesus' name, when the Christian missionary lion shows up in Jesus' name and lavishes themselves upon those that are suffering, people want to know why. It's a high price to pay. When I look at it, you know, I, I went into Baghdad just after uh, the Americans started to bomb it. Uh, actually, I was there before and then went in just after. And I watched the, you know, the, the total devastation there. They wondered why Christians... You know Saddam Hussein before he died... He gave Sammy Dagger a gold Rolex watch. And he said, Sammy, who's the Christian Missionary Alliance rep for that whole area, you're the only one who's come over here and done anything for our people. And it's probably because the God that you worship is the different from the God I worship. So these things are happening, my friends. We live the gospel before people. Through this, it says the Holy Spirit did miracles. Um, miracles will accompany the word of God when it's preached. I don't know about you, but I, I, when I was a pastor in a church, I, I always wanted to see a miracle. Forgive me. I wanted to see one. We had the more charismatic people in our church who would always say, oh, Pastor Sean, you should have seen God healed someone. I'd say, what happened? Well, you know, they weren't feeling well. We prayed for them. They got better. And I thought, okay, good. But I wanted to see someone whose arm is here and this one grow out and, and be with that arm. And that's how shallow my faith probably was. And then I go overseas and I start to watch God work. John Stott once said, he's a great theologian, uh, the church desperately needs a theology of miracles to know why they happen, when they happen, 
what circumstances need to be there for them to happen. What's the climate? And I couldn't agree with them more. In our camp, where we're working, when I was with the Christian Missionary Alliance on the Thai-Cambodian border, you know, we, we had a Buddhist monk in our camp. Now, the Khmer Rouge, if you remember, in 1975, started to kill a lot of their own people. All religious leaders, not just Christians, they, they killed Buddhists, they killed anybody that didn't, or anybody that was associated with any religion. And Madame Mai in our camp was about a 60-year-old Buddhist monk. The Khmer Rouge let her live. She dressed in white, and she walked through the camp, and everybody just said, oh, that's Madame Mai, she's kind of crazy. Madame Mai was going blind, and she had prayed to all the different spirits to heal her eyes, and yet none of them could ever do it. And one day she walked by our lab in our little bamboo hospital compound, and she, she calls out to our lab technician, Luchi Pomeran from the Philippines, another Christian Missionary Alliance gal. and says, Luchi, how big is your God? And Luchi can speak Khmer very well. Luchi said, he's very big. And Madame Mai said, if he's big enough to heal my eyes and give me my sight back, I will serve him the rest of my life. Luchi says, Madame Mai, you come back. We all have to leave the camp by 5 o'clock because it usually gets shelled after, after the dinner hour. So we'd all have to leave at 5 o'clock and, and go back to our homes about an hour away. He says, you come just before 5 o'clock. We're going to pray for you and God's going to heal you. Um, then Luchi comes to us and says, hey, we're going to pray for Madame Mai and God's going to heal her eyes. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> what if he doesn't? You know, I, I, in a refugee camp, and we're shelled a lot, and that's, that can be pretty dramatic and exciting, but there's not much else that ever happens in, in, in refugee camps. So when a bunch of foreigners gather around a Buddhist monk and lay hands on her that their God is going to heal her, everybody wants to see. There were people stacked up all around the hospital compound, everybody clamoring to get a, a view of watching these foreigners do this. And I can remember what's going on in the back of my mind. Oh, God. <laughs> You've got to show up. Everybody's watching. We pray for Madame Mai. And I want to say this about healing miracles. Seldom do I ever see them happen instantaneously. I, 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 I can't think of too many that I've ever seen do that. They happen incrementally. And you know why I think that is the case? Because I, the person needs to demonstrate when Paul looks over and sees that lame man and said he, he saw he had the faith to be healed, I think there's, there's faith on the part of those who pray, absolutely, according to James. There's faith on the person who's receiving the healing. And I think as they demonstrate a trust in God, God can then continue to heal. After three months, my friends, Madam, I could see. Her sight was restored. And true to her word, she went from one end of our camp to the other end of the camp telling people about Jesus Christ. To a point, you know, and I know the Khmer Rouge, they keep records of everything. Madame Mai, before she was taken out of our camp, had kept, you know, these little school scribblers. She had written down that name of every person that she shared Jesus with. When the Khmer Rouge finally put a stop to her and took her out of our camp, we never saw her again. There were 3,000 names in her little booklets of people that she had shared Jesus Christ with. I remember, I'm talking to Madame Mai, she, there's two words in the Khmer language for, you know, uh, discipline. One is, we try and discipline you to talk you out of something. The other one's, we're going to force you out of this, even if it costs your life. They'd use the second word in, in a letter to Madame Mai saying, you better stop talking about this foreign god or we're going to kill you. I, I went up to her and said, Madame Mai, are you afraid? Because you know they'll do this. And I'm the missionary. She says, why would I be afraid? So all my life I've sought truth. And I finally found the God of truth. 
I know where they're going to take me. As far as I know, there's no one up there who knows Jesus. If Jesus wants me to go there and talk to them about him, I'll go. Two days later, Madam I was gone. Miracles. Uh, my brother Jack, missionary with the Christian Missionary Alliance from Guinea, now works for Samaritan's Purse. Jack was telling me one story. He and a black African pastor, they went up into the highlands of Guinea, to, you know, three-day drive. Every mission field needs a chiropractor. If you're one here this morning, uh, sign up for missions. Uh, Jack says, we were bumping over these roads, and, you know, he says, I couldn't believe it. Three days later, we get to this village. We walk in. It's a Muslim village. There's a little small bamboo mosque that they had built, and, and uh, the chief of the village comes out to greet them. Uh, you know, he had never seen a white holy man before. So the Muslim imam comes out and he meets Jack and the villagers all come around. And uh, he's got a crippled 12-year-old daughter. And uh, he says, you know, what, what, and they'll do this. Well, you're a holy man. Will you pray for my daughter's healing? Jack was, said he, he was so excited. He said, this is the moment. He says, he brings out his daughter. The whole village comes around. We lay hands on her to, that God will heal her. And I'm in the back of my mind. He says, picturing God's going to step in here, do something very dramatic. It's going to heal this little girl. We're going to stand her up. She's going to walk. The whole village is going to come to repentance and faith in Jesus. And it'll sound great in the Alliance World magazine. You know, we're, I can't wait to preach this one. Jack says, I prayed a prayer like I've never prayed before. I was so convinced that God was going to heal this little girl. I just knew it that God was going to heal her. I said, amen. I stood her up, and she fell flat in her face in the dust. Jack says, I burst into tears. I started crying. And the imam looks at him, and the villagers are all there. And that black pastor that was with Jack, the Guinean pastor, says, Jack, don't worry about it. You know, they left some literature and left. Jack said, I was never so discouraged in my life. God, where were you when I needed you? A year later, Jack and that African pastor decided to go back to that village. They get back to the village, and the mosque is gone. And there's a little church. The imam comes out to greet Jack and the pastor. Jack says, what happened? Where's your mosque? He says, we don't follow that God anymore. We follow yours. Jack says, okay, why? I prayed for your little daughter to be healed, and she wasn't healed. And he turns around and he calls out, and out of the hut walks the little girl. He said, and he said, tell me what happened. The imam said this to Jack. He said, we have never seen a white person cry over one of our children. If you love that little girl that much, we thought there must be something true about your God. So we started reading the books that you left for us. And we became convinced as a village that this was the way to God. Listen, I, I, and then they started to pray for the little girl. And God eventually worked the miracle. So have great hope in our God, my friends. When we live the gospel, the Holy Spirit can do miracles. Um, then he says this. This is a full presentation of the gospel. Please don't miss that part. I say to people, look, I, I, I think when we create the climate for the Holy Spirit to work, he can do miracles. Sometimes I think the reason why we don't see miracles happening is simply this, that we're so concerned about preaching the gospel that we forget to live the gospel. Or we're so concerned about living the gospel that we forget to preach the gospel. Those things are, go hand in glove. 
We cannot separate them. John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in verse 14 in John chapter 1, it says what? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that because I think we've done really well as churches about preaching the truth of God's Word. It's very important that we preach the truth. It's very important that we live His grace. And when those two things are done, I think that creates the climate for the Holy Spirit to do miracles. Not just in Erbil, not just in Northern Guinea, not just in Cambodia, but right here in St. Catharines. You know, I'll just end with this. I could talk all day, sorry. Uh, in Sendai, we're coming up to the third anniversary of the earthquake and uh, the tsunami that hit Japan. And, uh, you know, I got to go there after the, the one-year anniversary back to Sendai and to see what's all transpired there. And, uh, you know, we're going up to village Shinomaki and just unbelievable devastation. Uh, Mo and I were talking earlier. You know, there's still parts of Biloxi and Mississippi and Louisiana and New Orleans and places like that that still look like a war zone. Uh, and uh, you'll forgive me for describing it that way. I listen to people say, oh, you should have seen it. It was just like a war zone. And I think, how many war zones have you been in? In fact, down there, it was way worse than any war zone I've ever seen. You've got entire villages in northern Japan still full of rubble. And they will be for years to come. They will be in Louisiana and New Orleans and Biloxi and Mississippi. It's going to take years, decades probably, before that devastation is cleaned up. But I was there in, in Sendai, and the churches, my friends, I, I think there's a great correlation between where disasters are happening and where the Word of God needs to go. What does Matthew say, Matthew chapter 25? You know, when you hear wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines in various places, you know the end is coming. These are what? Birth pains. And what happens when you're giving birth, moms? Those labor pains get closer and closer together. They're more and more intense, and the baby comes. The baby's coming. Jesus is coming. And I watch where disasters are happening now around the world. It's of great interest to me that many of them are happening in the darkest places of this world. It's a high price to pay. The low fruit's been picked for the sake of the gospel. The fruit that we yet need to pick, it's higher in the tree. It's going to come at a greater cost and with greater sacrifice. And once we reach it, we'll be at the end. And I think the Islamic world, by the way, is the final nut to crack. And when that final nut crack, if you told me 20 years ago that we'd see this kind of response to the gospel that we're seeing now amongst the Muslims, uh, they are searching They've been told all these years that Allah is the way. Now they're going, we don't think so. Because if ISIS represents Islam, we don't want anything to do with that. It's a great time for the church. When I was in Sendai, I talked to a Japanese congressman. The churches up there have doubled in size since the tsunami. They were small to begin with, but they've doubled. And uh, I said to this congressman, his name's Congressman Doi. I said, Doi, what do you want me to tell the church back in Canada? What do you want me to tell people? And he thought for a minute, and he said this. He says, you tell them that we've had 3,000 years of Shintoism in Japan, 1,500 years of Buddhism, and 150 years of Christianity. The Christian God is the only God that can heal our hearts. I take great hope. I take great hope. 
that this gospel, the God of all hope, in the front of your bulletin this morning, the God of all hope, that's the kind of God we believe in. So, my friends, I, I leave it at that this morning. We don't take any pride in seeing the Gentiles one to faith. We don't boast about it. But what we know is this, that they come to faith by our message, by the way we live. Through that, the Holy Spirit does miracles. That is a full presentation of the gospel. So take the power of that gospel. Will you today live Jesus before your friends? Be bold in preaching the gospel. If you're going out for lunch today, you know, and you go to pray over your meal, and that poor little girl comes with the coffee pot or the water jug, yeah, I, you know, I, I go on a trip and I come back and we do that on Sunday, go out for lunch and that, and, you know, uh, we, we go to pray and thank Jesus for the food, and, and we could hear her coming up, so we actually interrupt our prayer and we apologize to her and say we're just praying. Huh? She can wait. I'm not advocating that you stand on the lunch table and say, bow your heads, everybody. And if you are, tell me, because I want to come for lunch with you and watch. (laughs) But we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. She can wait. Listen, in your living and preaching the gospel today, may God give you great strength to know the hope of the gospel to which you've been called. God strengthen you. God bless your ministry with miracles that you might fully present his gospel. Can I pray for you?